Sanchez. Listeners, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Busby Babe Podcast, and I'm here with my friend and fellow historian Cameron Zinsu. Hey, good to be here, Colin. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Cameron is a Barcelona fan, so he's the enemy for the next two weeks, and he's uh, come to give us the Barcelona perspective, so thanks for joining me, Cameron. Of course. And um, I guess first I want to start out asking you a little bit about your Barcelona fandom and how you came to support them. Obviously, they've always been a very good team, like Manchester United, but how did you personally get into them and start following them? So, like so many Americans, I came into soccer seriously, especially European soccer, through FIFA. And it's FIFA 2005, and I was looking for a team to support. I didn't want to support Real Madrid because I knew that they had Zidane and, like, David Beckham, and I thought, oh, you know. They were, like, the Galacticos team at the right. time. Right, and... I also didn't want to do Manchester United because everyone had heard of him. And so I was just scrolling through teams and I saw this Barcelona team. I was like, oh, this Ronaldinho guy, he seems like he's pretty good. And so like, let me let me look up a little bit about them. Now that, like, oh my God, this guy's the truth. And then I started reading on the history of the club and I really enjoyed, I, I really mm-hmm. identified with the history of the club as a whole, as a symbol for Catalonia, um, their struggles and their recent successes. And, and from there is pretty much all she wrote. Yeah. Um, I think there was a very interesting documentary I saw on Netflix, Barca Dreams, that kind of explains the founding of the club very well and how they were kind of the the outcast during the Franco period in Spain and Real Madrid were definitely the, the regime club or whatever. So, um, all right. Barcelona's identity, um, very much founded in their early history, but has kind of evolved into this sort of tiki-taka passing style. And despite changing managers over the years, whether it was the Dutch period with Johan Cruyff and Louis van Gaal, and then Frank Reinkard, and then Pep Guardiola, uh, Tito Villanova, Luis Enrique, they've still got this identity of a passing team that gets their fullbacks forward, that tries to exploit you with passing lanes, not just, you know, the very English style of crossing in the box. Um how do you see this Barcelona team as different from previous Barcelona teams in the in the sense of the Barcelona identity? Sure. So, yeah, we had a very identifiable identity under Pep and his successor, Tito Villanova. And then when he had to resign due to his health problems, you know, we had Tata Martino, mm-hmm. which is kind of a forgettable year for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but Luis Enrique came in. We, we saw in the transformation from Pep and Tito to Luis Enrique is that Luis Enrique was very much in favor of getting the ball as quickly as possible to Messi, Neymar, and Suarez. 
and kind of bypassing the midfield to a degree, which is the hallmark of Pep's mm-hmm. sides. And when with the coming of Valverde last season, he was very pragmatic because we had just suffered the loss of Neymar unexpectedly to PSG. And so he kind of worked with what he had. And so he was focused on consistency much more so than spectacular results for a lot of the year last year. We used a 4-4-2 rather than the traditional 4-3-3 that Barcelona is primarily known for. This season, however, now that Valverde's had an entire season to integrate, bring in some of his people, players that he wants, and to that, and in a way, you know, he can develop more concretely his ideas. We've seen a Barcelona that's been far more confident going forward, and Valverde slowly but surely being more aggressive in the way that he approaches games. And I think we see that in a a lot of the matches Barcelona has participated in this year. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of uh, possession, we still love to dictate possession. However, there have been a few matches this year in which we've had less possession than the opponent and have still managed to win quite comfortably. Mm-hmm. Uh, Messi once said recently that you know we're, we don't really ever feel that uncomfortable. Even if we're under pressure, opponents can have the ball, but we don't feel like we're going to concede. Whereas in the past, it was... If we don't have possession, you know, we might be a mess. Um, and it's reflected in the way that Valverde sets up the team from time to time. Uh, specifically with Sergio Roberto, more as a supporting fullback, more more than an attacking one, who can cover the spaces uh, down that right-hand side. Um, and Valverde's also set up the team very well tactically, so that when Jordi Alba goes forward, this, all he does is go forward. Mm-hmm. That there's always coverage for him on the left-hand side. Um, and it while, you know, we're still susceptible on the break, uh, you do see a much more solidified team that's organizationally uh, much more compact and much harder to break down than Barcelona's of your past. Mm-hmm. And it definitely seems like Leo Messi in particular, I mean, one of the greatest players of all time, if not the best player of all the time. Greatest. Yeah. Um, it seems like he's been playing much more central than he was under Luis Enrique. He's kind of a right winger, but... It, I guess to use a Manchester United famous moment, it's it's like he's the Cantona, he's the central <laughs> forward. He's uh, Valverde's given him the baton and he's conducting the orchestra. It's like everything goes through Messi now when they attack. And I, I mean, why wouldn't you? He's he's obviously the best center forward maybe ever, but he's got such great passing vision as well as his eye for goal. And I think um, I guess we'll go into Atletico a little bit. The Atletico game that happened just yesterday, but we saw that a lot. Uh, where he was looking to find fullbacks and people who were going on through balls, uh, or people to find on the end of his through balls. And that is something that in particular scares me going against uh, Manchester United because our defense has been known to be all over the place at times. What do you see... What do you see them able to do apart from Messi? Because it seems like everything is down to Messi. Um, With this Barcelona team, it's Messi or nothing. So, yes, also no, mm-hmm. to the degree that when we beat Real Madrid 5-1 to one in October, mm-hmm. Messi didn't play at all. He was injured, out injured with a broken arm at the time, and we quite comfortably you know, dispatched those hated rivals of ours. What, so the thing is, is that Messi, I, through his career, has been able to identify his weak spots, and then I'm going to make... I'm going to be the best in the world at them. Mm-hmm. He didn't score very many free kicks when he was younger. And, you know, he already has six in La Liga alone this season. Yeah, now he's 
probably the best in the world in taking free kicks. Right. Over the past, the top five leagues in Europe, over the past five seasons, Messi has 20 goals. And second place, I think, is Miralem Pjanic of Juve. He has 11. Right. And and so, and he's his vision, while it's always been gifted, is now, right, you could argue he's the best playmaker in the world. Um, and so, before, Messi kind of had to worry about Neymar because everyone saw Neymar as the successor. But now that he's gone, there isn't any pretension about having to satisfy Neymar's ego. Mm-hmm. And so everyone's like, right, Messi, he can have as much of the ball as he wants. And so a lot of our attacks do funnel through him and with you know, complete justification. Yeah. Um, he's on, what, 33 goals now and 18 assists? You know? Yeah, in La Liga. I think he's yeah. he's over, he's close to 50 now in all competitions just because that Lyon game, he just absolutely dominated the stats sheet. <laughs> right, and it's, you know, his 10th consecutive season with 40 or more goals in all competitions. Uh, which, you know, all, yeah. Only Ronaldo but, has a similar yeah. period of sustained, you know, statistical success over that period of time. Uh, but in other ways that we can get, we can threaten Manchester United. Uh, I really like the ways that if Dembele plays or Malcolm plays on the wing, uh, they provide m- much more direct approach to the game than, say, a Messi or the traditional build-up play that we, because Barcelona loves their patient build-up, controlled 20, 25 pass movements mm-hmm. that result in breaking down the organization. Uh, but Malcolm and Dembele, they're not afraid to just pick up the ball, run at their defender, beat their defender go straight to the box. And so I think that's a really good change of pace kind of mode of attack that the team engages in. And I guess we can get into later, you know, things that Coutinho can bring and the midfield can bring, but it's just much more structured in which it's like come up, 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 like not in an obsessive way, like it was under Pep in the way that you instruct minute long passing movements. Mm -hmm. But it just seems like once the team gets control of the ball, it's just, you just slowly see everyone push forward in a way that, you know, just feels like you're, it's, you're being ground down. It's going to overwhelm the opponent at some point, yeah. Right, and especially with the overlapping runs of Jordi Alba that Messi's very good at finding, but mm-hmm. everyone knows that, you know, you can always find Jordi Alba on an overlapping run on the left, and if he can get to the ball, you know, he's very good at cutting it back or putting it across, um, or even dribbling uh, himself. Uh, and so if, it's not messy through the center, which most attacks will be messy through the center. You can look for Alba to get sprung quite frequently down the left, and for Suarez to drop deep. Suarez loves to come deep and collect the ball as well. Mm-hmm. Um, whether or not he'll make the correct decision and or properly dribble or make a proper pass is subject to debate. Mm-hmm. But he loves to get involved too, and he doesn't. He's not just you know a target and you put up front. He can be one, yeah. but he can. Offer so much more. So, would you say that Luis Suarez has definitely lost a step this season? Because that that seems to be that that's something that I've kind of taken away from watching Barcelona whenever I've been able to watch them is that he's not as deadly for them as he has been in maybe his first couple of years there. Because when he, his first couple of years, I think he was rivaling Messi for their top scorer, and now he, uh, Messi's got twice as many goals as him. Well, okay, so right now Messi is the top scorer in La Liga, mm-hmm. and Suarez is the second place. Mm-hmm. So at the beginning of the season, I was very critical of Suarez. 
because he looked like he was a bit heavier coming back from the World Cup. It also seemed like he had lost a step or two. Um, he began to pick up form around November, December, and he's been pretty on form on 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 a pace since. And as far as attributed it in an interview to, you know, just sluggish, being tired, coming back from the World Cup, and, you know, I had to find my form again. And it absolutely appears like he has. He will always provide excruciatingly frustrating moments in which he miscontrols a dribble or pass um, or, you know, makes the wrong decision. And yet he, time and again, he's also shown that he's always in the right place to mm-hmm. pop up with a goal. So for instance, against Villarreal with the last kick of the game, he equalized mm-hmm. off a corner kick where he was at the edge of the box. You would think he'd be right in the mixer attempting to get the ball down, but he identified the movements of the Villarreal defenders and he stepped back and first time left footed half volley right into the goal. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, has a pinch for scoring spectacular goals. And again, uh, yesterday against Athletic, though, you know. Yeah, the clincher, right? Or no, the, the, he broke, he, he, he yeah, scored, he the, first scored goal, the first goal. Right, yeah. with, a, with an excellent outside of the box, right footed curler into the bottom corner that Oblock had no chance of getting at. Mm-hmm. And so he's still a world class elite striker who puts up numbers that rival any other striker in the world. It just so happens he plays with Messi, who will, you know, minimize all of his accomplishments because of. You know the outstanding you know, standards the, he sets. The fault of being human on a, a team with a god. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um. All right. So I guess talking a little bit more about this Atletico game that we've mentioned a little bit. Uh, this was the first game I've been able to watch most of Barcelona's highlights for. Um, like I mentioned in a previous podcast, I don't have the in sports to watch La Liga anymore, but. The familiarities I saw with the older Barcelona teams, they always get their fullbacks involved. It's quick movement. But I would say maybe one of the differences, they looked quicker than in previous Barcelona sides where they're not going to take, like like you said earlier, they're not going to form these long passing movements that take five to six minutes. They're, you know, they're recognized that speed is an advantage of theirs, especially now that they've got Malcolm or Dembele whenever he's healthy in the side. And uh, as you said, Jordi Alba on the left, who's basically a left winger. He's he's not really much of a defender at all. But Barcelona's speed is something that they're really starting to utilize under Valverde. And that's something that really scares me going against Manchester United because when I looked at them and the way that they were able to break down Atletico, Atletico being a sort of anti-football Mourinho-esque side. I mean, Diego Simeone, I'd say, recently has been much more successful than Jose Mourinho. But their philosophies do appear to be very similar, where they're going to win the game by breaking down the opponent defensively and just grinding out results. And it seems like Manchester United may have to resort to similar tactics. Um, We saw it kind of against Juventus earlier in the season when we played them in the group stage. The way we won that game was we were basically under siege for 80 minutes and then went for the win in the last 10. Uh, Under PSG, PSG realized that they had the quality and attack over us and they spent most of both legs attacking us and they pretty sure they got the majority of the shots. I don't have the stats in front of me, but comparing, you know, those two sides in Europe to this Barcelona team, Barcelona is obviously a step above in quality from those two. I, I think maybe Juventus now that I think their comeback against Atletico proved that they're more, and they're still in the champions league as well, but this Barcelona side and their high press and their quickness in attack is something that scares me the most. So, the thing is, I don't think Malcolm or Dembele will start on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Neither of them started 
at the weekend. Malcolm came off the bench and provided an electric spark. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I go back and forth between starting Coutinho or Malcolm because Coutinho has been off the pace uh, and has been for much of the season. It's come under... Yeah, it doesn't seem like he he or Valverde really knows where he should play in this Barcelona right. side. He, no, he's a creative attacking midfielder who mm-hmm. likes to cut in from the left or likes to play centrally. Well, Messi's in center, and he's not really a left winger in the mold of uh, Dembele. And so it has been difficult. And he's not an interior, you know, he's not the a true successor to Iniesta in that he can't play and dictate and control the midfield like Iniesta could. And so... In in that way, you know, Coutinho's kind of on the on the fringe, and he's he's had difficulties assimilating this season. Uh, but what I'll say is, is that I don't know that Barcelona is all that much quicker, especially in defense. Our defense is actually pretty slow. Mm-hmm. Um, what we do have and what we've been able to see over time is that for big matches, Barcelona, I see this happen every time. If there's a big match, knockout stage, Champions League, or a big La Liga match, or a big uh, tie in the Copa del Rey, the intensity from Barcelona in the first 15 to 20 minutes is mm-hmm. unrivaled. Uh, we saw this against Atletico, and I think the match against Atletico is a bit misleading because Diego Costa was sent off after 27 minutes. Yeah. And so, you know, Athletic, Atletico basically had to sit back for an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, not that they wouldn't have anyways, but I mean, 20 minutes in, they, they had they had more possession than Barcelona in the first 20 yeah, minutes. I think the, the majority of their chances, I, I, even when Diego Costa was on the pitch, though, was coming from set pieces mm-hmm. or opportunities where they would try and break and they'd get a foul. Right. And, you know, credit to Valverde, he's made the side much more organized. And so we're much less capable of conceding from set pieces than we were in years past. In years past, mm-hmm. that was, you know, that was our Achilles heel. That was, you know, get a set piece against Barcelona. Anything could happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and now it's we're very stalwart when it comes to defending set pieces. So one other thing I'll attribute to this Barcelona squad is their winning mentality because you have PK, you have Busquets, and you have Messi, each of whom have won three Champions Leagues and, right, two trebles and they'll be winning their eighth La Liga in 11 years this season. Mm-hmm. And that's just a characteristic that, you know, has to be developed over time through winning, right? Success breeds more success. And th- those three, especially as team leaders, they absolutely get it. And so that's a kind of intangible that I think the squad possesses that in recent years we haven't seen successfully, you know, used to its maximum. But in that same time, I, you know, Messi is an extreme competitor, mm-hmm. uh, you know, even though he might present, you know, a dimin- diminutive, you know, kind of player in person, you know, he, he's just as competitive as, you know, all the elite athletes. Mm-hmm. And he, he may not have that, I guess, outward personality that like Cristiano Ronaldo has, where he'll openly exclaim that he's the best player of all time. But it definitely seems like he's got an ego on him. It, it definitely seems like he's aware of how good he is. Otherwise he wouldn't be accepting this role under Valverde and then under um, uh, Luis Enrique before him, where he was, you know, the director he, where I think kind of under Guardiola, Iniesta and Xavi shared a little bit of that responsibility because they were two of the greatest passers of all time. 
So they were very much involved in the passing game and the distribution of it. Whereas I think Messi is, he's accepted that role as well as his role of, you know, leading from the front as a goal scorer. So the thing about Messi with Xavi Nuniesto is that he didn't have to drop his deep as frequently because he mm-hmm. knew that they had control of the match. He they're, played they're, center forward pretty much every game. Um, oh, he started from the right, and then yeah. Guardiola famously moved him to the false nine position, mm-hmm. and, and it's from that false nine position, you know, where in 2012 he scored 91 goals in calendar season. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, his most prolific season, 2011, 2012, and 2012, 2013, came as a result of him playing in that position with Xavi Iniesta behind him. And now, sometimes, you know, it's much more advantageous for him to pick the ball up pretty dribble past a player or two and then switch the field of play. Or if he wants, he can take on the entire defense himself. Or if mm-hmm. he wants, he can sit closer to the goal if he feels that the midfield has a sufficient control of the match. And and so he can really be the best player on the pitch from any midfield or attacking position. And so you can't really square peg him down anymore. He has a place where he generally starts, which is generally on the right side. Mm-hmm. But he is truly the one player who has license to go wherever and do whatever he wants because he reads the game so brilliantly. He's never scored a goal in the first minute of his career. It's because he usually spends the first three or four minutes of the game aimlessly wandering the pitch, analyzing the defense for the best mm-hmm. places he can position himself in order to take advantage of those opportunities. Yeah, and... Uh... Part of what obviously sets him apart is his otherworldly analysis of an opponent. But I think also his otherworldly analysis of moments of a match in which he can take control. Um, one example of this I always look to is the 2011 semifinal against Madrid, where in that first leg, it was a slog. It was traditional Mourinho trying to stop the game. It was Pepe, Pepe or Ramos. They got sent off. And Pepe. yeah, was, they always get sent off. One of the, <laughs> one or the other. But, um, and then late in the last 20 minutes, Messi finally gets that breakthrough goal. And then, you know, the the dagger, the NBA, like, final, like, three to <laughs> daggers. He takes the ball at midfield. And he's just like, I'm I'm putting this game away right now. And he goes through the entire defense and scores. The easiest assist Sergio Busquets will ever have. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, just, like, side foot pass to him. Yeah. So uh, that's part of what's so terrifying against Barcelona is that you can do everything right. And it can be nil-nil or you can be one-nil up, but there's still that one chance that Messi's going to just take it and, you know, go Super Saiyan mode and just take over the entire match by himself. So (laughs) I'm going to ask this question because I've been pondering too. What is the best way to approach this game? Is it to bully Messi? If if you're trying to defend against Barcelona, do you try and bully Messi and take him out of it entirely and, and, you know, simultaneously putting the weight of the game on his shoulders to do something individually to try and make it happen? Or do you try and defend Barcelona as an entire team, as an entire unit, and you know take account of everything else apart from Messi? Because if you take everything else away from him, he also has the same ability to take control again. So what, what would you say is the best way to defend Barcelona? So I think United's best chance on Tuesday would be to sit deep and to employ Rashford and Martial. And to, I want... I would, if I was Ole, I would be a little brave and try and position those two a little bit higher up the pitch. Um, don't necessarily put them with PK and Longley. He's mm-hmm. probably going to start. Uh, don't put them, you know, that far up away from because you'll need their defensive input. Mm-hmm. But 
you want them kind of lingering near Busquets because, you know, for all of Busquets's, you know, amazing capabilities, Pace is not one of them. Mm-hmm. And Rashford and Martial are extremely quick players. And PK and Longley, right, they rely much more so on their ability to read the game in order to make their interventions than, you know, outright physicality or pacing. You know, they're both rather tall and can be physical. They're not very fast. Mm-hmm. And so breaking for United is going to be their best opportunity make it hard for Barcelona to break them down. So make sh- I would try and as much as possible have the best, you know, tactically disciplined players on the pitch in order to perform as a unit, in order to nullify as much as possible both the space Barcelona has to operate in and then, you know, when you can break, you can break quickly, you can break fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if United do that, they actually have a very good chance of getting a good result because there will be opportunities yeah. for United in games. Just, you know, can they take them when they have those moments when they can just break forward? I think the worst thing you can do is try and make this an open game where you match, you know, attack for attack because that just plays right into Messi and Barcelona's hands. Messi loves nothing more than 10 yards of space in front of him and a backpedaling defense mm-hmm. with Suarez running in behind or Alba running in behind or Coutinho. Especially when those two defenders in front of you are Chris Smalling and Phil Jones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't think making ugly faces is gonna, you know, ward it, off. It may scare him, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think the thought process for United fans or the hope for United fans is that Victor Lindelof will be healthy for this game and that'll be absolutely crucial because he's been far and away our best defender in a season where we've conceded a lot of goals. Um I was listening to the United Rant podcast, and they actually pointed out that Barcelona have conceded about as many La Liga goals as we have conceded Premier League goals this season. So there's definitely a little bit of shattering the illusion of Barca's invincibility and defense going on. But for somebody who's watched more Barcelona than I have this season, are Barcelona a team that are used to having the opponent attack them, or are Barcelona still sort of the dominant possession game. You mentioned a couple times that in bigger games, they've let the opponent have the ball a bit more because they're more comfortable defending than they know that they can build a fast break rather than just, you know, build through possession. They don't absolutely need the possession to take control of the game anymore. But, um, sorry, what was the question I asked? Right. (laughs) Are Barcelona a team that are used to the opponent having the ball and creating chances against them now? So, much more so than they have been over the past decade. Mm-hmm. Barcelona still absolutely prefers to control and dominate possession um, to run rings around opposing midfields. And they're still quite good at it, especially mm-hmm. with the addition of Arthur this year, who's like, yeah. you know, the Brazilian Chavi in the making. Um, as it were, you know, hopefully, you know, he'll find his own identity. He said that, you know, Iniesta was his idol, but I think he plays much more like Chavi. But it'll be good to see how he grows. Um, so. Yes, they're more comfortable. Like, like I have mentioned, organizationally, the team is much more compact. I, I, every time a team used to break against Barcelona, like, oh God, here we go again. <laughs> this season, I don't. I'm just like, okay, I know we're going to get seven, eight guys behind the ball. We're going to be active and pressing against the opposition and we'll be able, when we regain control, if there's a suitable place where we can break, we will. And if not, you know, the team still loves to pass out of the back. I mean, they're still probably the best team in the world at passing out of the back mm-hmm. and then maybe Manchester city. And so I'm not, and the thing is, right. Possession used to be an obsession. Possession is still a priority for the squad. I don't think it's an obsession as it once was. Mm-hmm. So 
on the break, like I said, catch players out of position, catch the fullbacks forward. That that'll be, and then use the space in behind with the pace of Rashford and Martial. Uh, that'll definitely be the best way to get out Barcelona on you. Okay. Uh, someone like Lukaku, that plays right into Barcelona's hands. He's yeah. gonna. He's, I'm, he's, I'm not sure he's, he'll be healthy to play. I think the he was back against Wolves, but he didn't look. He didn't look 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Jesse Lingard may actually play in a 4-3-3 with... Um, and his speed has been pretty important for us under Ale, but he's also had injury problems. Yeah, uh, yeah, Jesse Lingard, he'd, he'd be another... If you started with a Rashford, Martial, and Lingard front three, mm-hmm. that would worry me quite a bit. Uh, and he's somebody who likes to put pressure on players who are playing out of the back as well and that was kind of our approach to PSG in the first leg where we were applying a lot of pressure particularly on Thiago Silva and Presnel Kimpembe but uh, Martial and then Lingard both got injured really quickly I think after 30 minutes so hopefully that doesn't happen again (laughs) because that really ruined that game for us but uh, yeah I I would much rather see Jesse Lingard start in this game than Lukaku and if we have to play the set piece game later then maybe bring on Lukaku just for the size advantage yeah, no, uh, I mean, that would be smart. I, I like, but really I like what Ole did against PSG in the second leg is he tried to kill off the game essentially the first 50, 55 minutes. And, mm-hmm. you know, they got the goal and then he said, you know, all right, let's go for broke. And I think that could be a useful approach against Barcelona too, to try and kill off the game for large stretches of time and then pick the moments at which you want to get at Barcelona. Mm-hmm. Because like I said, there will be moments, but you know, you can't assume that like, oh yeah, we have to, take advantage of every opportunity over 90 minutes. I think a much more structured approach, like maybe we try and kill off this game initially and like try and frustrate them. And then, you know, someone does something they're not supposed to do and then we get the ball and then we break and we go. Mm-hmm. I, I think that would be a very useful approach against the squad. Yeah. Um, another thing I wanted to ask you about um, Barcelona in recent years in the Champions League, it seems like away games have been kind of what broke them. How important do you think it is that the first leg is away and that the second leg is at the new camp? Yeah, so, you know, famously we lost 4 0 against PSG mm-hmm. in 16 17, came back 1 6 1. I think, you know, playing for a draw is never a bad thing in the away knockout stage of the Champions League. Mm-hmm. Uh, Barcelona is very bad at winning away games in the Champions League. I think the last time we did it was against Arsenal in 15 16. Everybody but, beat Arsenal in the Champions League. <laughs> <laughs> oh, those gunners. <laughs> what? You know, a 1-0 loss isn't that bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2-0 isn't that bad either. Uh, 3, I'd be pretty worried. Uh, but I also don't anticipate the team losing. I I think, you know, a draw would be very good. And I think that it is important that the first leg is at Old Trafford and second leagues at Camp Nou because mm-hmm. it's just like there's a noticeable lift in the team and the atmosphere and there's a kind of dejection that overcomes opposing teams when they come in the knockout rounds to play against Barcelona and you know all of Barcelona's biggest wins in the Champions League in the knockout rounds in the past few seasons have all come from very strong home legs and you know just kind of nursing a lead in the second leg if we have to go away um, or we have the opportunity to make a stage a comeback in the second leg and I think teams are aware that Barcelona is more than capable of doing so. Um, but then again, right, United 
lost at home and then went away to PhD mm-hmm. and, you know, put them to bed. So it's not to be on United either if a negative result helped to carry that confidence into an away game to yeah. produce a result. All we needed was five academy players in the squad who really wanted it a lot. <laughs> um, one, one of my guests a couple episodes ago, Paul, is that all we needed was a bunch of kids to really believe in themselves yeah. and <laughs> believe in the dream of Man United. But, um yeah, yeah, the new camp is obviously one of the most intimidating atmospheres in football. It's it's impossible not to feel emotional and invigorated if you're Barcelona playing in front of your fans because it's such a tight stadium. The way it's built is like it, the stands just go up. Right. And um, there was a famous uh, moment in the Class of 92 documentary about Man United when uh, the 1999 Champions League final was in the new camp. And they played in there before, but it was still such an intimidating atmosphere being the final. And the way that the steps go up for the players to enter the pitch is like you're going up as the wall of fans mm-hmm. <laughs> it comes into vision, and that's all that you see. So it's it's almost like from the very moment you step out onto the pitch, everything is against you at the new camp. Right. Yeah, and uh, huh, it's really funny you mentioned 99s because that was the season Barcelona and United were drawn in the same group. Yeah, in the group stage, they tied 3 3. Uh, but in, in both, both games, games yeah. like, that's incredible. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, and yeah. Some of the best goals, I think, yeah. that both clubs have scored in that. Andy uh, Cole scored a great goal at the Camp Nou, and then Rivaldo uh-huh. scored a bicycle kick yeah, also. I mean, he's just like in that same match. David Beckham free kick. Yeah, yeah. there's some extraordinary matches back then. Yeah. And, and it's true, like, yeah, walking up the steps as I've been, you know, luckily been able to do a few times, mm-hmm. and it's and attend a few matches. It's there isn't a bad seat in the camp new to have because mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you are that you are that close to the pitch and you know, the largest stadium in Europe. You know, it, you can tell when <laughs> when mm-hmm. when fans want to show. Yeah, so I guess. We we talked a little bit about those three three matches. The last time that Barcelona and Manchester United met in the Champions League was that 2011 final, the three one at Wembley, and then Blessed. before that the Rome final, Blessed. and then the year right before that was the home and home semi final draw, right. which is uh, Frank Rijkaard's last year. That's the last time that either club has played at each other's stadiums. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. 07, 08. Yeah. Ronaldo missed a penalty at the Camp Nou yeah, in like the second minute. Yeah. And then had another one uh, denied because the ref thought he was diving. Yeah. Even though that one was probably more of a penalty <laughs> than the first one was. <laughs> but, um, yeah. The, uh, I think when I was looking at previous matchups, those tactics for Manchester United are probably the ones that I could see Ollie kind of reincorporating because... United went into the new camp in the first leg. You know, they spent the first 20 minutes pushing for a goal, and the rest of the game, they're like, okay, we're just going to leave here with what we can get. And in the second leg, they went for the goal. They went for the same strategy, you know, press early, try to break. Paul Scholes got that one goal, and then they sat back on the lead the rest of the game. They, they had a couple more chances on the break, but Nani's not a finisher. Yeah. You know, he's not going to finish those. Gianluca Zambrotta, he lost us the tie. He gave yeah. it away, and then Scholes would have hit only half all. Yeah, just like, oh my god. But I mean, at the same time, right? Those are that was a decade ago. Almost yeah. no one totally different teams. Yeah, like Messi absolutely. and Busquets are still in the side, but uh, well, Busquets wasn't in the side for for okay. that. It was the season before he made it to the first team and. It was Ronaldinho's last season with Barcelona. Yeah, I think he was injured for that tie, though, or he, he wasn't he playing played, for some reason. I remember he played in the second leg at Old Trafford. I'm not did sure. He, he did. I, I'm not sure that he played in the first leg okay. at Camp Nou. He was um, kind of on his way out, though, at that point. Yeah, I mean, right when Barcelona was in third place, like we finished 19 points behind Real Madrid that season. Mm-hmm. It was a, definitely a team on the decline and in serious need of like 
reinvigoration, but... But just to be clear, this Barcelona team is not a team on the decline. <laughs> this team is not a team on the decline. We've done really well um, in the ways that we've been able to incorporate new signings and turn over and move people on as we need to. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's this real anxiety in Barcelona and amongst Barcelona fans that we have to get Messi at least one more Champions League before he retires because he'll be 32 this summer. And although, you know, he's playing some of the best football of his career at the moment, mm-hmm. right, that's not going to last forever. And you, you hear about interviews with players or with coaches and they say, like, you know, we've let Messi down, you know, Messi's always carried us so far. And, like, we owe it to him to get him another Champions League. I don't wonder if sometimes that's always a little heavy on other players. Like, I need to step up to the level that Messi's playing at. Yeah. And in some ways, right, they understand that they can't because he's utterly unique. But in some ways, you know, if, you know, if I do as best I can on my day, you know, I know it's helping the team, but it also helps Messi. There's, mm-hmm. there's always this undercurrent of the team first, but then it's like, you know, 1B is messy, such as like, you know, the kinds of fortunes we've experienced, reversing fortunes we've experienced ever since we broke under this scene mm-hmm. over a decade ago. All right. So I guess we, d- we didn't talk a whole lot about Manchester United. We spent most of this time talking about Barcelona. So uh, tell me a little bit about what you know of this Manchester United team and what you expect to see from them. They're very hurt a lot of the time. Many, many injuries. <laughs> that's, that's fair. <laughs> um, well, I mean, you know, Mourinho is just the classic third season curse. It's happened with him, having him at yep. Chelsea, having him at Real Madrid, having him at Inter, like having him his first time at Chelsea. So, you know, it was always tough. It was always easy to see the quality that Manchester United had. But it was always difficult to see how Mourinho was going to get that talent out of them because he was he's, so He's not a man manager. He's a system guy. He's, you know, he's he's not going to coach up Marcus Rashford. He's going to expect him to do something or do a job. And then if he doesn't do it, he'll move on to Alexis Sanchez or try to right. try to swap deal Martial for William or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... I think, you know, so United was an enigma much of the, for much of the season. They were like, well, you obviously have great players in, you know, all facets of your field. You have David De Gea, you know, one of the top three keepers in the world, you know, mm-hmm. and you have Paul Pogba, you know, Manchester United's most expensive signing ever, who is undoubtedly, you know, a world-class player. And, and you know, you have the rising talents like Jesse Lingard and Martial and Rashford, who are still very young and still have so much to learn, but they're still so dangerous and prolific. And so, you know, it was like, you know, kind of just, and it wasn't so much that people were cheering Manchester United to lose. I think it was everyone just like, ha, Mourinho, of course. Yeah. Of course he's dragging them down. And I think that's, in a way, that's kind of what Mourinho always wants is he wants the narrative to involve him or to center around him. And now, you know, we're, we're seeing Mourinho players playing better under Ole. We're seeing, you know, Matic isn't great, but at least he's doing something. He's not running in circles anymore. You know, Scott McTominay, one of the youth players that Mourinho liked, has played a lot better under Ale, and it looks like he's he has direction to his game. He's not just there to piss off Pogba. He scored a great goal against Wolves, mm-hmm. his first for the club. Yeah, and uh, he was one of the key players against PSG in the second leg when we won. So do you think that this is a a moment where Manchester United can take that next step in their development as a squad, but also for the individuals who are young and upcoming, you know, do you think this is a moment that they can kind of seize and grow and, you know, 
kind of become those transcendent talents everyone expects them to be? Or do you think that this is a lesson where they need, they're going to sit back and learn where Barcelona is going to beat them and they realize that they have work to do? So I think, you know, that moment has already arrived for them. You know, all mm-hmm. they won his first 10 matches or something as mm-hmm. the manager. And, you know, you guys have had two or three losses very recently, if not consecutively, then like three out of four or something. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, the reality check has very much hit the squad in that way. Ole came in, he provided the much needed lift that the squad needed. Um, and quick aside, I don't know that it was necessary for United to give him the job immediately for three years mm-hmm. because the rest of the season is essentially like tinker. Like, you know, yeah. get we make sure you get a top four finish, get as far as you can in the Champions League. Yeah. And then we'll analyze what you've done, you know, at the end of the campaign. I don't think that giving him a three-year deal at the end of March when he's been in charge for two months is, it was the... It obviously didn't have the immediate impact that maybe people thought it would because we had a very, you know, difficult 2-1 win at home and then lost again to Wolves after, because he got it over the international break and those are the two games since Mm -hmm. we've come back. Yeah, and and so I don't, I think much more so than the squad, this this will show a lot of Ole's potential Mm-hmm. as a manager and his ability to take Manchester United forward. No one's going to doubt, you know, he understands what it means to be a red devil, to put mm-hmm. on that shirt. He understands the, the stature of the club. He says all the right things, right? He infuses a sense of confidence in the club that had been lacking ever since, frankly, Sir Alex left. And so, you know, I'm very interested to see his tactical approach um, and how he handles the result afterwards. Uh, I think the players, you know, it will be a learning experience for them, but I think it it occurs more so in the context of learning with Ole than it does, like, than it is, like, telling them things about themselves. Unless they win 5-0, right? Then I'm like, <laughs> well, well, then it's obvious, you know. Then, yeah, it's on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that these uh, guys have figured something out. Yeah, we can be realistic, though. I don't think we're going to win 5-0 at Old Trafford. Uh, not with that attitude. <laughs> well, it's a good thing I'm not the manager. <laughs> Maybe in my FIFA career mode, we'll win 5 0 against Barcelona. But, um, all right. So we're going to finish off with predictions. Uh, do you want to go first or me go first? Well, I mean, what do you, what do you think about the, the squad and the, uh, the Man United squad? Yeah, yeah. Uh, especially in their approach, right? Like, how do you, how do you think is they, they're going to get up? I, I think ultimately we are going to fall short, but I think that when the moments come for Manchester United to take their chances, I do think that either Rashford or Martial will show their quality. I think that this is a tie where we won't be held scoreless. I think that we will get goals, but I don't think that it's going to be enough. I think that Barcelona will be able to get an away goal, which is really what we don't need (laughs) going into the new camp. And then I think that the new camp is going to be too much for our squad. I think Ole needs a summer backed by the board to build a team that he wants. Uh, you know, it, it seems like he already has players in this team that he wants. Obviously, he got Martial to sign an extension. He's trying to get Pogba to sign one. Um, the David De Gea contract situation is, you know, still playing out. But, you know, Marcus Rashford is now the centerpiece of Ollie's attack. I think that this will be another learning opportunity for a young squad that's still finding itself. But I, I don't think that I don't think that we have the quality to overcome a a titanic team like Barcelona yet. Well, Barcelona has been knocked out of the Champions League quarterfinals for the last three seasons. That's very so true. <laughs> it's infinitely possible we can do it again, especially after last season's debacle against yeah, Roma. What, what were those teams, though? That, uh, it was Atletico, you know, a, a 
very well built side that knows exactly what their tactic and what their identity right. is. And then it was Juve. And, yeah, and, and then last season was wrong. Oh, that's right, Juventus. Yeah, so we, the, those two teams, Atletico and Juve, that those seasons they were finalists and both mm-hmm. lost against Real Madrid. Mm-hmm. I truly believe that. Well, I guess, except for Ajax this year, that over the course of a cup knockout competition, only Barcelona could beat Madrid because they're alone without a complex right. against them. I think we can agree this year, though, that everyone wants to play Real Madrid again. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I, I was really hoping that we would draw them in the round of 16. Oh, <laughs> yeah. They've been shambles. Oh, it's been so great to see. Yeah, it was, it's, I mean, it's almost, it's impossible to replace 50 goals a season. Sure, yeah. Especially when you don't buy anybody. Yeah. <laughs> they got Vinicius Jr., who I think will be a good player eventually. Oh, he's going to be amazing. But he's not Ronaldo yet, you yeah. know. And uh, Mariana Diaz is, yeah, he's yeah. not a burgeoning Ronaldo either. Yeah. But I guess, suppose, in terms of predictions, I I think the game will end about a 1-1. I think, mm-hmm. I think United will catch Barcelona on the break at some point and be able to finish off a lightning-quick counterattack, I also believe. Barcelona, whether they score first or whether they're trailing, I think they'll find a way to break down United's defense um, mm-hmm. in some way, whether it's an error or a piece of individual, you know, brilliance from Messi or Suarez or whomever. Um, and I think, you know, they would be very happy with a scoring draw against United. You know, the higher the scoring draw, the better for us, you know, mm-hmm. heading back. So I, I think, I think that's, I'll go with the one-one. I think for this first leg, I'm going to go two on Barcelona, and we're we're recording again next week, correct? Yeah, you were available. Absolutely. Yeah, so we'll adapt our predictions as the tie goes on. But I I think United will either equalize at some point, or they'll maybe take a one 0 lead and then be holding on late, and then Messi wins it for them, um, in a very discouraging fashion for Manchester United fans. But uh, yeah, I I think that we'll get our chances and take at least one of them. Yeah, I I definitely expect a close affair. I don't think this would be one of those wheelie dealing, yeah, this free flowing. You know. As long as we don't collapse like Leon at the new camp, I'll have a little bit of pride left after this matchup. <laughs> All right, um, I want to thank Cameron for joining me. Uh, be sure to follow him. Uh, he is at CG Zinsu, correct on Twitter. Z i n s o u. Yeah. C-G-C-I-N-S-O-U on Twitter. He tweets a lot about Barcelona. We're also both historians, so uh, if you follow me or him, you'll see us share some other history stuff going on. (laughs) Um, Cameron, thanks for joining me. Sure, my pleasure. Hope to see you next week.